Attention, attention all personnel. It's MASHCAST. Hello and welcome to MASHCAST, the show that analyzes and celebrates episode by episode the greatest TV series of all time, MASH, which aired on CBS from 1972 to 1983. Proud member of the Fine Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, General Robert Iron Guts Kelly. And joining us this week in the VIP tent is Major Danny Ulrich. Danny, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Now, the last time you were here was season three. So uh, as everyone knows, the show's changed a little bit uh, in the meantime. So before we get to the episode in particular, I just kind of get a baseline. Where are you on your MASH fandom? Are you more of a Trapper Henry guy? Are you more of a BJ and Frank guy or BJ Winchester? Like, do you have a particular era of kind of the three big eras that you maybe like more than others? I mean, I'm still always going to be partial to the first three seasons because that's the, that's what hooked me as a, as a fan when I was way, way young. So I'm always going to favor those seasons just because I, you know, found it funny and that's what really got me a big fan to become MASH, you know, a MASH fan. But the, these seasons that, bridge until Winchester coming over I think in my opinion that I think if the show never really changed into what it became I don't know if it ever would have lasted with the same cast Mm -hmm. as the first three seasons like going maybe season five where I've been the last season season six and yes it would have still run a syndication but I don't know if it would have the legacy that it would have had had the show not changed. So I recognize that and I appreciate that even more that, um, and I think that's what made it become such an all time classic was because the show evolved, changed, changed characters, changed the way the themes ran and everything. And you just have to put out your mind that yes, the Korean war did not run that long, but, um, and continuity and within the mass universe is not existing but you you know i as i said i think the show would never become an all-timer without all those changes that basically made the show better you know and i i I do recognize that and i always will still love the show for that yeah absolutely i think if it's a show that is dependent on you caring for the characters you want to see them and the situations grow and evolve and as good as the henry and trapper years were uh, you know, would it have been the same show if they had been on the show for 11 years? Probably not. They Maybe on some level, they would have had to evolve. But yeah, I mean, to me, so much of the, the joy of MASH in a lot of ways is is the transitions through the years and stuff. And, uh, you know, even shows like Friends that have the same six people for all, for its entire run, those characters evolve one way or the other, may not as dramatically as, say, on MASH, but there's, there. you know, you look at the first episodes and you watch the last one, like, well, these characters are very different than where they were. Um, the only show that probably didn't do that was Seinfeld, and that was kind of built into the process. These are not characters you're supposed to care about. They're, you know, it's all just sort of a joke machine. So anyway. Yeah, um, they, they were always supposed to be that. They never learned anything. Yeah, right. So they were supposed they, to be they, static. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yes. uh, but yeah, not so much for Mash. So, okay, awesome. Let's get to the episode. It's season five, of course. Episode 17, End Run. The original air date was January 25th, 1977. Written by John D. Hess and directed by Harry Morgan. We open on the front lines as a group of U.S. soldiers come under enemy fire. One of the wounded is a young man named Billy Tyler, who arrives at the 477th with a nasty wound to his leg. Radar recognizes Tyler, who was a college football star back in Iowa. Just before he goes under, Tyler tells Hawkeye and BJ that if they can't save the leg, don't save me. But despite their best efforts, Tyler's Tyler's leg wound is too great, and Hawkeye ends up having to amputate. Later in post-op, 
Tyler thanks Hawkeye for saving his leg. Hawkeye has to break the news to him that the pains Tyler pains Tyler feels are just phantom pains, leftovers from the wound. Tyler, for the first time, looks under his blanket and sees what has happened. He is furious and, eyes welling up with tears, blames Hawkeye and tells him to go to hell. Hawkeye is demoralized by Tyler's reaction, and so is Radar, who comes in to drown his sorrows and booze as well. Hawkeye tries to take his mind off of by getting involved in a fight between Klinger and Sergeant Zale, organized by Frank, mostly for his own entertainment. He tries getting the two of them to agree to a truce, but it doesn't work. Later, Raider tells Hawkeye that Billy wants out, and not just out of the army. Hawkeye sits down and has a talk with Billy, but he's adamant about his belief that he has no future without being able to play football. After Hawkeye leaves, Radar stops by to talk, reminiscing about the great game he saw Tyler play in, where, even though Tyler's team was far behind, Tyler simply wouldn't give up until he and his team were victorious. Remembering that game, Tyler agrees that it was his tenacity that won the day and says that there's always a way to beat them. You just have to keep searching until you find it. In that moment, Tyler realizes what he just heard himself say and that Radar was drawing it out of him. Meanwhile, Klinger and Zale's fight commences with Frank gleefully acting as ringmaster. After they dance around each other, never landing a punch, Frank demands that they really start throwing some jabs. So they do, both hitting Frank at the same time, knocking him out. The spectators, Hawkeye, BJ, Margaret, and others, fall over in hysterics. Later, Tyler is being shipped out, and he mentions to Hawkeye that he's going to go for the short pass, a term which bewilders Hawkeye but delights Radar. Tyler thanks Hawkeye for all of his help. After Tyler's ambulance departs, Radar explains to Hawkeye that Billy intends to try. Both of them feeling better, they decide to have a drink together at Rosie's bar. Radar wonders, can you get drunk on Grape Knee High? Hawkeye, putting his armor on Radar, answers, I don't know. Let's find out. All right, uh, Danny, uh, again, we're going to go through this scene by scene, as we always do. But, like, what are your overall impressions of this episode? So it's not a laugh riot type episode. I mean, basically the B plot is going to be the closest you're going to get to the most laughs in the episode um, because of the serious subject that's in the episode that it's about. But I think it's um, it's one of those episodes that kind of focuses on radar without being the complete story to it. Um, I think it's one of those ones that not many people will mention about the best moments that radar ever had. And I think this is one of them because you already had two appearances from Sydney this season. So this one, you know, they didn't call him up. It <laughs> took the doctors trying to like solve the issue. And it really it came down to radar uh, really helping Billy and just make him see like life is worth living, you know, just because you think that you lost your leg, that, it's not worth living anymore because football is your life and there's more to life than just playing football. And that's, you know, Hawkeye and BJ were trying to help him with that. They couldn't get him past that situation. Um, Radar really kind of brought it out of him and just being a Sydney like moment for him without having a doctorate or anything, just something that quiet, simple, you know, fanboy i mean you could say he's a fanboy but he's a little farm boy you know just saying there hey there's more to football you know and just showing him and then really bringing it out of tyler yeah i agree this is i think this is a great radar episode it features a moment and we'll get to it when we again when we when we go through the scenes that mm-hmm. i think is one of gary Berghoff's best moments on the show uh and um you're right i mean it's kind of funny when you have a character as strong as sydney friedman I could see that that could be a crutch of like, you just want to both literally like within the show and without the show as, as the writers of the show, 
you got to be tempting to like, let's bring in Alan Arvis because we know he's going to hit a home run. And then also for the doctors, it's like, well, every time there's a kind of an emotional problem with one of the soldiers, let's just call in Sidney Friedman. You can't do that. You can't have, I mean, you know, because then, you know, as you said, he's already been on the show twice this, this year, which is one, right. one more than he normally is. So, yeah, you need to have the other characters do something. But, but yeah, this is a, a terrific radar uh, episode. And I have to wonder, um, I mean, look, you know, Gary Berghoff, he's, he's five years into this role. He knows it uh, backwards and forwards. I don't think he needed any given director to help bring that out of him. He knew the character better than anybody else. At the same time, I have to wonder, what was it like working for Harry Morgan as your director? This is the second episode that Harry Morgan directed. He directed the the Novocaine Mutiny in season four. Um, But this episode, I think, is particularly well-directed. I mean, noticeably so. Um, It opens with the scene of the soldiers on the front line, and they start the bombs start to fall. And then it gets intercut with a fight at Rosie's. And I don't know if this was Harry Morgan's decision or it was a, the a decision by the two editors, Larry Mills and Stanford Tischler, or it was a combination of all three of them. But I love how this is intercut. And uh, I mean, you know, on the one hand, you've got these, these kids that are fighting for their lives and you've got these other jerks wasting their time fighting, you know, for no good reason. And uh, again, Harry Morgan really knows where to put the camera. Um, yes. We've talked about in previous episodes, you know, MASH is not a director's medium in particular, uh, at least on the visual side. You don't really get to, to do a lot of visual flourishes. But uh, I love, especially in the fight scenes, Harry Morgan puts the camera all over the place. And there's even like <laughs> some stuff where it feels a little handheld. I'm sure it isn't. But the camera moves. It moves across tables. It fly, It kind of follows the action of the fighters. I mean, it's both these scenes are really well done. And I think it really shows Harry Morgan had quite a facility for this. And I think it's a really impressive way to kick off the episode. Yeah. I mean, it opens like, it's almost like a war type film. Just yeah. watching it from low ground shooting up. And so you just see like the boots and everything walking into the frame and not, you know, just falling behind a soldier's back or anything like that. And it reminds me of, they go later into that, uh, this, into a few years from now, uh, POV, that episode mm-hmm. where you had saw from the shoulders, uh, the soldier's eye. So it was very similar to that. And then yes, uh, the choreography for the stuntman in Rosie's bar fighting with each other. And then it gets to the, the blooper. You didn't mention that. I didn't know if you were going to mention that or not. Oh no. What, uh, what, one, what blooper? Well, so in the, process of the fight there's one soldier that gets punched and he flies through the window right and you hear glass shattering. oh right yeah yes it's not <laughs> it's, glass there's no glass yes it's just a, a hut you know it's like, where's the <laughs> glass coming from so i think harry morgan's little western bar room brawls might have come back too much and some sound there they're like oh hit the button and then might've hit the wrong button. They just let it go. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. The sound effects editor went a little crazy. He's like, okay, yeah, let's put in glass. Yeah, you're right. It's just, it's just paper that they go through. <laughs> um, Harry Morgan uh, had been in a lot of musicals as an actor. And I almost feel like there's gotta be some musical choreography. There's one point where someone jumps one, one guy jumps onto another guy and he literally flips the guy 
in the air upside down. And Harry Morgan puts the camera up in the rafters, so you see the whole thing. And it almost feels like a musical. You feel like they're going to break yeah. into Seven Brides or Seven Brothers in a second. It's it's such a it's almost like Batman. You're expecting yes. pow, you know, it's that comical. Uh, but it's it's really well done. And again, I love the intercutting with the the you know the the stuff on the front lines. I think it's it's absolutely. Uh, terrific. It's got some real motion to it. But again, boat scenes. And of course, uh, in the fight, uh, Klinger is hiding under a table because he doesn't want to get injured. And Zale, uh, being the faux tough guy that he is, is, go on, kill him. That's it. That's it. But he is not involved in the fight. He's standing off to the side, keeping himself safe, but he's rooting everybody. Uh, and of course, it goes right back to their their longstanding feud between these two. And he says, hey, Klinger, go get the big guy. And Klinger's like, are you and ruin my hat? And, uh, you know, and, and then he's like, you know, you're an American, but this is a Korea. And, you know, I mean, he's got to know Clinger's Clinger's not a fighter. He's a lover. We know that already. And so sales barking up the wrong tree. If he thinks Clinger's going to get involved in a fight. <laughs> yeah. Clinger. Um, yeah. He doesn't, as he's mentioned before, he doesn't want to inflict pain either on people. Exactly. You know, he, he, I mean, Zale pushes his buttons and they're always, you know, which we have great lines that come out of their little uh, spats against each other. Um, but yeah, I don't think he'll actually always pick a fight with anyone. I think he just pushes his buttons enough that he'll do it, but he's not going to go to some complete stranger and just start fighting and brawling with someone no. just to, just to prove that he's a man or something. <laughs> you know. He doesn't have to worry about that. <laughs> no, um, no. <laughs> so uh, we follow Billy to battalion aid. Uh, I, Billy Tyler, uh, who will, you know, be center stage in this episode it's played by an actor named henry brown uh he was on a lot of tv shows in the 70s including kojak and like streets of san francisco he obviously got in good with uh, the late great richard donner because he appeared in lethal weapon lethal weapon 3 and scrooged all directed by richard donner so obviously uh donner your friend richard donner my friend yes, yes our friend richard donner yes. uh who, who obviously said he appeared in several of his films the battalion yeah. surgeon who uh, invest, you know, um, looks after Billy, and he mentions it. You hurt your leg really bad. Is um, named Tom Tarpy. He's got credits in films like Nine to Five, uh, Tom Horn, and Lost in America, the Albert Brooks movie. I've seen that movie forty million times. I don't know who he is in Lost in America. I don't recognize him. I think he's just one of the friends in the party scene. But uh, I'm always happy to to see that. And then there's a soldier. Uh, I don't know which soldier. There's a lot of soldiers in these early scenes. So I'm not sure who it is, but it's credited to Greg Mabry. He was in uh, a previous episode of MASH. He was in Springtime, which is funny enough. was the You covered that one yes. with me. <laughs> yes. He's the soldier that's holding on to the cat in post-op. And, uh, you know, uh, Alex Karras' character uh, helps uh, <laughs> rescue Hawkeye. This is his last credit. Uh, on IMDb, so I don't know what happened to him. It says he's still around. Maybe he's in theater or something, or maybe he's not acting anymore. Uh, but this is uh, this is it for him. But this is the beginning uh, in this scene where they talk about, he says, you must have cut your leg on something, huh, Tyler? Uh, which, again, is an indication of, all right, this is not just a regular, uh, you know, battlefield wound. Something's gone wrong uh, with Tyler's leg. It's obviously gotten probably tetanus, or it's got caught on metal, or something pretty bad because obviously this is going to be uh, going to become a bit of a problem. So then they, uh, they bring everybody into pre-op and Frank is as usual, absolutely no help. Uh, he points out that one of the wounded is uh, the enemy and he says, he's not going to operate on him again. Thank you. 
Thank you, Frank, for <laughs> this man's a foreigner. He doesn't even say the enemy. He says foreigner, uh, which yeah. is like, well, you're in a foreign country, Frank. It's going to kind of happen. Um, and it's here that Radar discovers who Billy Tyler is. And he immediately goes into like his football stats and all this stuff. And Hawkeye has a line about, you swallow a radio announcer? And um, <laughs> it's cute. It's cute that, that you know, Radar is like starstruck from a guy from sort of his hometown. So it's a, it's, right. it, we're already seeing that this means a little more to Radar than, than, than normal. <laughs> yes. Um, and on top of that with Frank, um, that's a foreigner. I mean, he, they are the foreigners in this country. Yeah, they're the foreigners. Not, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> like uh, there's that, there's that when the kids episode where Frank says, you know, if you, if you like it so much, why don't you live here? He's like, I do live here, Frank. You know, <laughs> it's like, come on. Um, and so again, co- marrying the uh, the wound, the scenes of the wounded and the fight. Zale brings in one of the wounded from the fight, Cornhouse. Uh, this guy is played. Cornhouse is played by the actor named. He's here. He's credited as James Lowe or James Lough, L O U G H, but um, he goes on IMDb as James Carroll. This is his second of seven mashes. He would always play somebody different each time. Uh, but he's kind of a big guy, and um, he, uh, they, Frank and Hawkeye, uh, excuse me, Hawkeye and BJ say that uh, he slipped in the kitchen on and hit his head on some Jello, uh, which, <laughs> and Frank of course buys that. Next time you're around Jello, wear, wear your helmet. <laughs> like you're gonna wear your helmet in the kitchen. Like wear my helmet in the mess tent. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so then we're in. Um, we're in the. Uh, OR and we get the first indication that this is going to be an even more of a problem where Billy says, you know, how bad I, how bad I'm, how bad am I? And he says, you'll make it. And he says, well, the leg we will do everything we can. And that's when he says, doc, please, if you can't save the leg, don't save me. And Hawkeye and BJ just give each other this brief little look of like, Oh boy. You know, uh, cause I mean, they're getting a sense of this guy's not going into this with the greatest, uh, mindset in the world. Yeah, um, and you were mentioning before about how the at the when the battalion station uh, how his leg looked, and I'm figuring that where the, the mortar hit it, you know, it busted through, and I'm sure it like turned his you know muscles into like shrapnel, scrapple, you know, type, mm. you know, and and I'm thinking that's why they said, oh, you cut it, huh? And not trying to like play it up that it's like really serious, and I knew Billy Poppy knew that it was serious, but he kept asking over and over and nobody would really tell him the truth. And I think he just realized like on the table and watching the doctors that like, it's serious. And that's why he was like, if I'm, if you can't save the late, don't save me. Yeah. So, um, and so, uh, then we, uh, we find Zale and Klinger f- facing off again, uh, while radar is trying to do some laundry and they literally squeeze him. They put him between, each other. Uh, Klinger gets off a great line where Zale says, I'm going to punch you right in the nose. And Klinger says, your fist isn't big enough, which is <laughs> the classic, you know, I'll make fun of myself before you can. So he's very proud of his giant, his giant proboscis. So I love that. I love that, you know, Zale thinks he's landing a real zinger on Klinger and it's like, no, it's, it's not going to work at all. <laughs> yes. Well, I think also the, the impression was that Zale has tiny hands like a, like a, like a woman would, you know? So yeah, it's like, you're oh, a girl, I didn't even so think about that part of yeah, it. It's so like, Klinger, okay. Awesome. All right. Yeah. Besides, yes. Klinger's nose. It was like a double shot, you know, <laughs> shot at himself and then shot at Zale. Like, yeah. You okay. Yeah. <laughs> you, have, you have tiny hands suggesting, you know, we know, a lot of people seem to be very sensitive about their tiny hands. So yes. maybe I guess that's really a thing. 
Um, so then we're back in uh, OR and we get the, you know, one of the brief appearances in this episode by Harry Morgan. As, of course, as Colonel Potter. And they're all watching the leg and they see that this is not going well. And, you know, much like the Novocaine Mutiny, where Colonel Potter exits the episode pretty early and then comes back just for the kind of the, uh, the trial scenes. Obviously, Harry Morgan f- was more comfortable directing an episode that he wasn't in a lot because he is noticeably absent from the show. Now, of course, Alan Alda directed you know, dozens of episodes and he directed episodes starring himself uh, and, B- you know, um, BJ, excuse me, Mike Farrell uh, would do the same. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, you know, Harry Morgan tended to just when he was directing, just kept himself behind the, behind the camera. And, you know, as much as I love Colonel Potter, um, the, these stories are both interesting in their own ways. You don't really notice it. You know, you don't really, right. you're, it's only till the end that you're like, oh yeah, he really hasn't been in this one very much, but the episode goes by and he's not, you know, it doesn't feel like some jarring, you know, something's missing from the show. Right. So I, I don't know, like, I can't remember if I read it in the, past in any of the mash books or anything but i wonder when they get the scripts um and they see that they're not featured as much like hey is this an episode i keep direct mm. you know do you have a director lined up for this and then you know they give that a shot and see from there but i i don't remember um or if i read that before somewhere i i can't you know i can't recall uh in history but i'm i'm wondering that's what happens that you know this besides alan alder just because he's the main character he basically becomes a showrunner and director and writer. They go with it. But I think for the other actors, I think that's what kind of happens. They, they see that they're not featured as much. And it's like, oh, I want to get a shot at directing this episode. See, can we do that? Yeah. Right. You never know whether, whether it's a chicken or egg thing, you know, like, yeah. Did, right. did Harry Morgan get that script and say, Oh, I'm late this week. Hey, I can do this one. Or did they purposely write him kind of out a little so he could focus on directing? Uh, while they're working on Tyler's leg, Frank comes in with Cornhouse and is going on and on about his bravery. And he's got esprit de corps and he's not reading the room because obviously uh, BJ and Hawkeye are very worried about Tyler's leg and they don't want to hear about Cornhouse. And uh, Potter tells Frank to stick a bunch of retractors in his mouth. And BJ says at one point, boy, this is tough. And Hawkeye says one of the toughest. That's saying something considering what we've yeah. seen Hawkeye do. That's a that's a pretty uh, pretty pretty big statement, especially when they've done previous surgeries where they've grafted ligaments from mm-hmm. another body to uh, another one to to make a graft and and fix the leg. So I, that's what I'm saying. I the best I can figure is that the injury he got from the shrapnel, you know, completely shredded his leg muscles Ugh. up. Yeah, and oh, I'm God. I'm thinking that's why they were like, no way we can attach this. It's so damaged that yeah. you know. He's got a bone, but that's all it's holding his leg oh, together is a bone, oh, you know? Oh, God. Well, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would not do well in a war situation. No. Um, so uh, at the mess tent, uh, Frank and Margaret are eating together, and he makes a joke, and he says, he even says that I made a joke, and Margaret says, so did your father. Whoa. <laughs> Jeez. Coming in hot, Margaret. <laughs> My God. What a burn. Uh, and then there, so he's going on and on about, you know, bravery and stuff. And of course, any conversation with Margaret, if you have it long enough, it eventually turns to Donald Penobscot. And she says, right. like my fiance, a soldier, soldier. And it's like, Margaret, will you shut up about Donald <laughs> Penobscot for five seconds? Oh, for Pete's sakes. Now, I know she's talking to Frank 
And of all the people that's, you know, that's, she's looking to get under his skin. And the best way to do right. that is to mention Donald Penobscot. But it's like, good Lord, Margaret, do you have any other subjects to discuss right now? No. And that's the thing for this season. I, my memory of it was that she like mentions this every episode, you know, like Donald Penobscot, Donald Penobscot, you know, but once I started watching it again, I'm like, it doesn't come up as often, but maybe just because all the, the time she does mention it, it stands out more mm-hmm. for the season. Cause I was just thinking that's all Margaret talks about all season, you know? <laughs> and it's like, it's not true, you know? And, and right. I know this is an important chapter in her life because the character changes completely because of this, but it's like, it really makes you sort of hate Margaret, you know, this season, just because it's like, you know, like you said, like, can't you talk about anything else, but your fiance who, doesn't sound like the greatest person ever, but you raise him up like he's the Mahatma Gandhi or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's apparently the most perfect specimen in the history of mankind. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I, you got to imagine like they build him up to like, who are we going to cast in this role? Like, who's like, you know, is like Charlton Heston? Like, who can we get? I mean, he's just going on and on about this this guy, Robert Redford. I mean, that would have been a more contemporary uh, choice, I guess. Right. Um, so then Zale sits down and they start talking about the fight and Zale mentions, he says he doesn't need his fists. I use these. And he puts up his thumbs because he gouges out eyes. And uh, man, I love Larry Linville's reading because an eye gouger. Like he's so into it. Like, Oh, Frank, my God. Like what a <laughs> now. Okay. Zale's a dick. We know that. That's been established. But Klinger doesn't help by sitting at Zale's table. Like, if you know you feud with somebody, sit with one of the other tables. But, of course, he sits with Zale. They get into a fight. And that leads to food being smashed in each other's face. So this is, this is a little on Klinger. Because right. he could yeah. have sat anywhere else and he chose not to. Right. Yeah, I know. They they. Obviously, it's just out of the plot, but yes, um, you know, it, it's yeah. I, I mean, obviously, he has to sit with the enlisted men, and not with he can't sit with the at the officers' tables. But you know, it, it I'm, you know, why can't he sit with you know with someone else? You know, yeah. I mean, even <laughs> sometimes Radar is over there sitting by himself, scoffing down food. It's like go sit with Radar, I talk yeah. to him. Yeah, why you sit with the exact wrong person? Right. Uh, so they get in this fight. He uh, Margaret asks Frank to break it up, and Frank's too chicken. So Margaret breaks it up. She has a great line where she separates them, and she says, uh, "This kind of uh, uh, this kind of animal be I don't I don't we can't uh, we can't allow this kind of animal behavior uh, from anyone, especially enlisted." So she's always got that <laughs> class thing going. That the enlisted men are a little lower on the. Uh, on the, on the ladder of evolutionary <laughs> the evolutionary <laughs> scale compared to officers. Oh, Margaret. <laughs> and uh, so then she, she, again, she chastises Frank and he's kind of, you know, and she's making fun of his kind of weak need response. And she says, well, that's not how Donald would have handled it, which of course inspires Frank to then take charge and uh, well, take charge in a Frank Burns way. And he says, okay, we're going to have a fight. You two, are going to have a fight tomorrow. And he declares with the rule, the first man knocked unconscious will be the loser. So yes. quite a brave take there, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's that boxing psychology that he has. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and uh, then he, you know, then they have this, this great button on the scene where he's like, you know, a man's got to be a man or he's not a man. 
And uh, yeah, the book may frown on it, Margaret, but war is war. And then there's a pause. Do you take my raisin bun? Which is <laughs> <laughs> oh, how they suffer at the four seven seven. The lack yeah. of raisin buns. <laughs> Between that and uh, is rhubarb? Yeah, it was missing. Yeah, yeah, it's missing rhubarb. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, all gone, sir. Oh, sure. Yeah, poor Frank. He's just so put upon all the time. Um, so back in post op, Hawkeye is talking to Billy, and Billy does not recognize that he is missing his leg because he says, "I feel it. It doesn't hurt that bad." And in fact, I played a whole quarter, and that hurt worse than this. And Hawkeye has to break the news to Billy that the surgery didn't work and they actually, they did have to amputate his leg. And he mentions a thing called a phantom pain. And he says, that is just a leftover. It's still in your head. Now I saw this episode as a child. I'd never heard of that before. I, you know, I was like, what? Like, how can that even be? And it, I got to say for the longest time, it terrified me, you know, that idea that like there's a pain that exists in your nervous system and in your brain but the source of the pain isn't even there anymore and i'm like god this is like david cronenberg body horror type of stuff you know i i had i I, that was the first time i'd ever heard of it and it was really creepy to me of like that that was a thing uh and then billy looks down and notices that in fact the leg is gone which has to be you know an absolutely crushing reveal now you know, on the one hand, you kind of say, how did he not know that his leg isn't there? Didn't he see that there wasn't a shape? But I'm thinking it might have been that Hawkeye was kind of like ghosting or hovering Billy a little <laughs> and like watching that he was asleep. And the minute he woke up, sat down. So Billy right. didn't even really have a chance to like look because, you know, initially you're kind of like, how do you not know your leg is gone? You would think that'd be the first, you know, you wake up, you think it'd be the first thing you see. But maybe, yeah, maybe Hawkeye caught him at exactly, he wanted to brace, break the news to him as soon as possible. Right. I mean, because he knew Billy was already at the moment, like, as as right before they put him under, you know, if you can't save the lady, don't save me. So I think in both probably BJ and Hawkeye, like, okay, keep an eye on him. And then once, you know, he does come around, let's get there, you know, so we can kind of help him with news that we have to break to him. Um, I'm, that's probably what ended up happening. Yeah. Uh, BJ sits down and tries to support Hawkeye and talk to Billy and say, you know, um, there's just too much damage, but Billy's not having it. And he says, why don't you go to hell? And that's the act break of the episode, which is, like, yes. you know, Hey everybody enjoy this message from rice aroni the San Francisco treat. Um, you know, it's like, geez, or, you know, you know man, legs, eggs. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, eggs, exactly. So, you, know. you know, they weren't selling cigarettes by this point, but still it's like, Oh my Lord. I, you know, I, whatever, whatever commercial got ran right after that. And a little tough, tough stuff. Um, so now uh, act two, we're in the swamp. Hawkeye is, is, you know, they're him and Hawkeye, um, excuse me, Hawkeye and BJ are drinking, trying to drown their sorrows a little. Hawkeye is bemoaning, um, you know, what's happened. Now, there's this great moment here where they're, they're playing kind of a guessing game. And, uh, and uh, BJ says, you know, to Hawkeye, he's got to guess. And he says, it's like a cold-blooded animal. And Hawkeye says, it's either a snake or Frank Burns. <laughs> and BJ goes, same thing. Now, A, I like the joke. It's a good joke. Well delivered by Mike Farrell. But I also love the fact that we now know that they insult Burns to each other. 
They don't do it just when other people are around to be funny. They do it amongst themselves. I kind of find that funny that like even in, they both know how awful Frank is. They don't need to make jokes about how terrible he is, but they do it anyway, just to entertain each other. Yes. (laughs) So it it gotten to the point where they comfort with each other that they know they can just rag on Frank anytime, you know, (laughs) this this is the worst thing ever, a worst person ever, worse than Frank. Yes. You know, yeah. Yeah. Anything like that. I love that, you know, we're seeing Hawkeye and BJ, you know, we're, we're the, the God, the omniscient narrator here is seeing them and like, this is how they talk to each other uh, when they're alone, <laughs> which is great. So then Radar shows up and he wants a drink. And of course that causes Hawkeye and BJ to give a quick look at each other. Like what, you know, what's going on? And uh, Radar he takes a swig of the martini and almost dies. And he makes the comment about, I thought uh, this stuff is supposed to make you feel good. And then BJ says, no, it's supposed to make you feel nothing. And Radar says, I could take this over to Billy. And Hawkeye's like, that's not what he needs. And then they have this conversation about, you know, well, what's he supposed to do now? He can't play football. And BJ is saying, well, there's more to life than football. Now, obviously, yes. You know, a 20-year-old kid is not going to, you know, he's not going to end his life over this. But at the same time, you know, you know, yeah, I know BJ says there's more to life than football. But what would Hawkeye and BJ's reaction be if they couldn't be surgeons anymore? They probably would be pretty depressed, right. you know? Right. I mean, it, it well, here, I'll just give my little psychology here to this uh, when the dreams episode happens later. So what's Hawkeye's nightmare? Mm-hmm. His nightmare is that he can't do surgery because his limbs have been removed. Yeah. You know, and that's all he knows is being a surgeon. Yep. You know, so how would he live? How would he try and survive as a person with no limbs? And so it's the same concept, I think. Yeah. And they, yeah. they touch into that later. Yeah. They said they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't be as sanguine about it if it was, if it was their livelihood. And of course, yeah, as you say, in the dreams episode, they talk about that. There's the other episode where the guy with the piano playing, they kind of, this is mm-hmm. a similar, similar plot. Um, I love it when radar leaves and he gets in the doorway to Frank and Frank kind of insults him. And I love that Radar is so depressed. He doesn't even have the energy to defend himself. He just says, you know, and he's just like leaving, sir. Like he's, you know, that's a great moment for for Gary Berghoff and for Radar that he's, you know, just so bummed that he's just kind of like, okay. And he just sort of shrugs uh, out. And then uh, (laughs) Frank has the line about, uh, you guys, he was talking about me, wasn't he? And Hawkeye says, I don't know, did Radar use the word jerk? (laughs) (laughs) And of course, it's because uh, Frank is worried that Radar is going to snitch on him about the fight. And uh, Hawkeye BJ doesn't even know what he's talking about. Frank reveals his plan because he's a giant nitwit and he doesn't know. He can't figure out, like, he's so not paying attention that when Hawkeye BJ look at each other, they clearly don't know what he's talking about and he can't read the room. Once again, Frank not reading the room. They doesn't know. They're like, they're clearly, they don't know what he's talking about. Uh, so then uh, Hawkeye decides to get involved in the fight, and he wants to stop this. And we see uh, the respective training regimens of Klinger and Zale. Klinger has, I guess, like, I don't know what he's, it's like a surgical mask on his head. I'm not sure what that is. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't figure it out either. I yeah. was trying to look at it. It's and, got little straps. I don't know, or is it like the top of a bra? I don't know what. I don't know what the yes. purpose of that is. I think the the concept was supposed to be the the boxing um, like helmet you wear when you you know um, 
when the boxers train, uh, so they don't damage, really damage each other. Um, so I think that's what he was going for. But I, I, yes, he must have taken whatever pieces of a dress he had, either a bra or or what the case might be, and put it on him as like covering, you know, like he was actually in a boxing ring. I guess so. Yeah, it's just like a weird image. Uh, so then they find Zale, and Zale's training is even more bizarre, where he's in a mirror, and he's just slapping himself in the face. At one point, he slaps himself so hard, he almost knocks himself off his feet. Like, what the hell is it? What? Is he training? I uh, you know, and then uh, Klinger says, tight face, loose brains. Uh, <laughs> and they immediately get into a fight. And, of course, again, these two, these two are just, you know, incorrigible. By the way, I love – I never noticed this before until this episode. Zale always wears his cap with the brim folded upwards. Yes. Which, which makes him look like a Bowery boy, you know, from the, <laughs> the 1940s. Right. He's like Hunt Hall or something. And it, right. cause I think it's because he's got that Brooklyn accent. They want him to have that right. kind of, like, little wise guy – even though he's like 50. Um, geez, I just said like 50, like that's an old person. That's me. Oh my God, I'm so old. Um, well, that's both of us. So what are you talking about? Yeah, oh my God. You know what? I don't even want to know how old Johnny Hamer was when he did this. He was like 38 or something. But anyway, but they give him that, it's a child look, childish look with the cap folded up. You know, like he's like, ah, so is your old man. He's just that, that kind of thing. So Hawkeye ferrets out that, of course, this fight, uh, was organized by Major Burns, and they're only doing it kind of because Burns put them up to it. And he, you know, he's hoping that that gets them to realize the foolishness of their actions. But Klinger and Zale are again completely helpless, and they immediately get back into a fight. And Klinger, um, Hawkeye separates them. He sends uh, Klinger into the showers, just frustrated because it was all for naught. Uh, and then Radar finds Hawkeye and tells him uh, that he wants out. Billy wants out. And he's like, what do you mean? He's getting up. No, it means uh, out, out. He wants to be dead. Hawkeye then finds Billy and Billy is having none of it. Uh, BJ, um, excuse me. I always do this. Hawkeye tries to do the whole reverse psychology thing about, you know, oh, without football, you're useless, huh? And Tyler's just, again, he's not having it. And Hawkeye completely fails at this attempt to talk some sense into Tyler. And then it's Radar's turn. And he comes in and he's got, I guess, presumably like a life magazine um, with some photos of a famous game. Oh, he literally says it's life magazine. And he has these photos of this game that uh, that Tyler played in. And uh, we see that, uh, you know, Tyler recalls the game very fondly. And it's kind of the first time he smiles, I think, in the whole episode. And reminiscing about this great game. And he just says, you know, we slowly move the ball down the field. And, you know, uh, Radar is is got all the details in his head. I mean, he's like, oh, you, you know, 20 seconds left and whatever. And then you get Billy says, you just have to keep searching. You know, you, you can't give up. You just have to keep searching uh, those short passes. Uh, it's the short passes that did it. You just have to keep searching. That's the way to beat him. You know, keep searching until you find it. And then we cut back to Radar. And uh, like we said at the top of the show, I think this is one of – Gary Berghoff's great moments on the show. Uh, Billy Tyler realizes he, he's not looking at Radar at the moment, but he realizes what he just said. He realizes that Radar drew it out of him. And then he looks over at Radar, and Gary Berghoff, Radar, just does a little blink and a very, very slight head nod. Yeah. And um, the fact that Gary Berghoff is great in this moment is not surprising. 
but I would imagine there was probably a lot of ways that this scene could go wrong. You could overdo it, you know, it could just be, but there's just that, just the blink and the little head nod. And it's the kind of thing where, um, you have to be paying attention. You know, MASH was not a show that you could watch. I think, uh, in its original run while you're like doing laundry, you guys didn't watch it, you know, or or looking at your cell phone, of course, looking at your cell phone. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, but I, I think it's, uh, it's a great moment. It's a great moment. It's Harry Morgan directs it really well, but Berghoff absolutely crushes it by just keeping it that subtle. And there's no dialogue. It's just that moment. And obviously the, the point has been made. And I said, it really is. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, scene for radar. It is. And uh, I was curious. I just, you know, being a sports fan, I wanted to go back and see the mentions Iowa versus Minnesota, which they're big 10 rivals. They, there's a trophy they play for. It's a bronze trophy of a pig. It's <laughs> called the Floyd of Rosedale. And I was trying to figure out what game they could have been talking about, but radar, I think mentions that he heard it on the armed forces radio. So the best I can find was on November 4th, 1950, Iowa won against Minnesota 13 to nothing. Uh, because in 51, there was a tie 52. They lost to Minnesota. So it can't be those years. And then before that, uh, Minnesota won every game, uh, in the forties, the late forties. So that was the only game I could find that Iowa won that would have sort of fit the time frame that, wow. you know, we're supposed to be in. Um, so I'm guessing that's the game that they're referencing. <laughs> I, I am a, I'm impressed you did that kind of research and I'm impressed. They did that kind of research. They just, just make it up. I mean, who would have known, you know, they're not where, again, they're not worried about some nerd looking this up 50 years later. They're just like, you know, I mean, I just would have made it up. What like, I don't know. Iowa versus Gonzaga. Is that a thing? Is that a football team? That's basketball. I don't know. It doesn't matter. You know, um, so uh, I'm, I'm impressed. They even made that level of effort to kind of like maybe be a real game. That's, that's, that's pretty impressive. Well, if um, anyone was a sports fan, I mean, they know I was in the big 10. So back then, you know, you would only play um, the 10 teams in the big 10, you know, so there was only all those States within each other. And, you know, so obviously being a big Iowa Hawkeye fan, if you didn't know Hawkeye also. Mm, Iowa, that's right. Yes. So, uh, you know, being a, from, uh, you know, from Iowa, obviously that's going to be his team. I don't think Iowa State was at even playing football back then, but I, I don't remember. Um, so that's would have been the team he would, that Radar would have been following. So. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, when it comes to that stuff, you could tell me anything, Danny, and I'd believe it. I mean, big, they're at a big 10 school. All right. Is that fine? You know, <laughs> I have no idea. So it all sounds plausible to me. Um, so after that scene, uh, we have the fight between uh, Zale and Klinger. They've even made up a makeshift ring, uh, which seems like kind of a lot of effort if they're trying to hide this from Colonel Potter to actually like put up ropes and stuff. And Klinger's even got like a, uh, um, like a robe on sort of like a kind of a boxing robe. This, this scene features our only appearance by father Mulcahy. Uh, we know he's a boxing right. man. So of course he wouldn't miss the fight there, but he no, has no lines. No, he, he no doesn't. Now so. he just brings the bell. He's got like a, now, uh, he's got this like is a the season that uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, this is the season that William Christopher has got the hepatitis. So, I'm Oh, that's right. Yeah. So I'm wondering within the production order, 
he wasn't feeling, that's when he started not feeling well, because I know there's a lot of episodes that he's not appearing at all. Uh, he just makes this one brief appearance, but he has no line. So I don't know, you know, production wise where this would have fallen in, you know, if that was the time he was starting to get sick. And that's why they didn't give him any lines. Cause I mean, he could have, you know, obviously given advice to Billy, you know, if he actually could uh, had lines in the episode, I mean, it would have been someone else who could have helped them saying that suicide's not an answer, you know, and help them Billy along with that. Yeah. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. I mean, we know that they shot these sometimes out of order. So yeah, maybe Bill Christopher was already sick at that point. That's why they haven't so little for him to do. But that's got to suck as an actor, right? The first year you get promoted to regular and then you come down with hepatitis (laughs) and you miss a bunch of shit. It's like, oh man. Now this scene leads to the only even minor criticism I have of it. It's not even criticism. It's just like an opinion about it. I wish radar wasn't in this scene. I, mm-hmm. I think it would have been a little... Now, I understand everyone else is involved except for Colonel Potter, so it makes sense to have Radar there because he gets to be the announcer and he gets to do some physical gags where he tries to go through the ropes and he knocks his hat off and stuff. But, like, I just wish that maybe they had been like, oh, okay, he's... While the fight's going on, he's in post-op with Billy. Like, he's off on his own plot line. It's a very minor criticism. It's, again, it's not even a criticism. It's just kind of like, eh, Maybe that moment would have been a little nicer if Radar had just been out of the show until the until the Billy plot comes back uh, right. while they're doing this silly thing. But it's you know it's not a big deal. It's not to mention he changed his clothes too because he yeah. was you know he puts on that gray sweat over pull sweatshirt or whatever they can, it might be yeah. with no sleeves on it. So you're always wearing that. Um, the only thing I can figure is that Billy got tired with the sleeve. Yeah. They just let him rest, but he, he think he got through to one, uh, two, and you know, and I know they they follow that up, you know, within that day, I guess. I don't know. Yep. We'll get to that when we get to it, but yeah. Again, it's ve- it's not even a criticism. It's just one of those things. Again, when you when you have your actors, you want all, all your actors want to be busy, you know. And I would assure, yeah. if they had written Gary Berghoff out of the scene, he might have been like, "Why am I not in this scene?" You know. So it makes total sense. Um, we then uh, we find out that uh, Klinger and Zale have come up with a plan. He mentions to Hawkeye, we have a plan. And initially their fight is the most pathetic fight in the history of boxing. I mean, they're just sitting there dancing around. Margaret gets upset. Uh, you know, they're just dancing around. And there's a joke about Arthur Murray and stuff. Then they, Frank tries to get them to box. They start hitting each other like they're rock'em, sock'em robots. Like it's just, you know, these little, it's just absolutely nothing. Then Frank finally tells them, you know, I really want to, you know, come on, get get in, get into it, guys. And they both hit Frank in the ear, knocking him out, which, of course, sends Hawkeye, BJ, and Margaret, especially Margaret, into absolute hysterics. She, in fact, she laughs so hard she almost falls out of the frame uh, because <laughs> she's laughing so hard. It's, it's, it's a, you know, again, much like I said, Loretta Swit plays a great drunk. She also laughs very well because it looks believable. <laughs> yes. Uh, that scene... Just that little part where they both punch um, Frank at the same time. Um, back when I grew up, and uh, for WWL New Orleans TV, when they would do a little teaser for Mash between the like advertise that'll be on at ten thirty-five after the late news, um, that would be the scene that they would show. And just <laughs> so I always saw that, you know, where they both punch, you know, and he's like hit for real, and then they punch, they both punch him, and then he blinks his eyes, and again. 
Larry Linville with that great cartoonish, you know, like he did the same thing in springtime where, you know, like Tweety Birds over his head, (laughs) but he's got that, you know, look in his face as he passes out from getting knocked out. Yeah, it's definitely like a, you know, it's like a big, (laughs) yeah, big take from, from, from Larry Linville uh, when they knock him out. And, you know, how much of a wuss is Frank that those two punches knocked him out? Because they don't look like they hit him very hard. I mean, come on. I mean, geez. Wait, he's not Mike Tyson didn't hit you. I mean, what are you talking about? Um, so uh, later uh, we see Billy is getting shipped out and Hawkeye kind of comes at it like he's sort of ready to argue a little bit because, of course, as far as he knows, the last time he talked to Billy, Billy is still in that bad place. And then he is shocked to see that Billy says, you know, I know you did all you could. Thank you. And he actually reaches out to shake Hawkeye's hand and Hawkeye looks just kind of shocked. And he says, good luck, Billy. Now, I mean, when they load the actor into the thing, you can clearly see he's got two legs. I mean, (laughs) I know what can they do, but it's just a little like, I don't know, maybe tuck it under or something <laughs> like it's right yeah. like you know come on but it's all right well, I, I guess it's hctv versus old analog you know pictures from way back when you would have guess. seen that and now you yes you can obviously see that both leagues are there yes, yeah i saw that too I was like, oh, yeah no. <laughs> all right okay maybe they gave a prosthetic at the 477th or something um and so then radar talks about that billy is going to try the short pass and then the Hawkeye's like, what is, you know, what does that mean? He says, it means he's going to try. And then he says, Hey captain, do you want to go to Rosie's bar and you get, can we get drunk at grave knee high? And Hawkeye says, I don't know. Let's find out. And he's got his arm around radar and we see as the ambulance uh, leaves the unit. It's a great end moment. It's warm. Uh, Hawkeye and you know, radar being pals is always a fun thing to watch. So it's a, it's a, you know, great, great way to end the show. Great way to end the, the, uh, the a plot of Right. <laughs> and then you didn't mention uh, the, the dialogue between um, Hawkeye, BJ, and Margaret right before the fight, though, where, where you know, Hawkeye's like, Margaret, isn't it exciting, Major? You know, people fighting and uh, punching in each other. And Margaret's like, I think it's uh, barbaric, you know? And, and then BJ's like, and you wouldn't miss it for the world. She's like, right. And she's like, <laughs> a smile on her face. Like, she's turned on by the chance of violence happening in front of her with two guys fighting each other. I'm like, okay, Margaret, you know, simmer down a bit, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's, Margaret's, that might, you know, Margaret definitely likes a little bit of the ultra violence, as they say. Mm-hmm. In the, <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's, this is part of who she is. Um, now, when I watch the show on syndication, that's where the episode ends. That's it. They cut They cut this final scene because there is one last scene in Colonel Potter's office. We finally see Colonel Potter. Uh, they, they said, I only saw this until I got the DVDs where Frank coming in with bandages on the sides of his head, which is ridiculous. <laughs> like, what, what did they, why does he have bandages? What did they do? Like, cut his ears with their boxing gloves? What are you talking about? <laughs> and he tries to get Zale and Klinger in trouble. And of course, Klinger and Zale are one step ahead of Frank because they're like, well, you know, if you get us in trouble, we're going to get you in trouble. And Potter obviously knows what's happened. It's his <laughs> unit. He knows everything. And he's kind of playing acting a little, you know, like he's being one of, one of you is going to go to the stockade. Like he's kind of like really overdoing it. I think just for Frank's kind of benefit, you know, like he's just trying to like mess with Frank a little because like, he's being very stern uh, in a very kind of un-Colonel Potter-ish way. But again, I assume that he knows what's happened. And he wants them to sort of settle it. And, of course, you know, 
Frank, uh, is, you know, when Frank's risked, he's not going to risk getting in trouble. And uh, the whole thing gets resolved when they all decide to, <laughs> to leave. And Zale and Klinger walk out with, uh, with uh, Frank insulting him as he goes because he can't hear anything because he's got bandages. Yes, and same here. I never saw that scene either until the DVDs came out. So yeah, another cut by syndication. Yep, there you go. Uh, but overall, it's a, it's a really great show. It's a good, you know, it's a the, the silly B plot, but a really solid A plot. I mentioned that this was yeah. written by John D. Hess. This is his third of three mashes. Uh, he would have a couple more credits after this, but he had had a lot of. Uh, credits in 50s and 60s television so i'm guessing he was sort of like wrapping up his career a little bit so this is one of the last kind of big things he would do and this is it for uh his his uh, time on the show but it's overall it's a it's a really terrific episode uh i think anchored by a great performance by henry brown uh i think he's you know yep. really terrific as billy tyler and gary Berghoff just crushes it i mean he just absolutely yep. crushes it it's a great episode for him Yes, I agree. That's uh, why well, it's a good episode for him, and like I said, not a not a laugh riot episode, um, but still a good episode. Absolutely. So, do you have a favorite right. line or joke from the show? Um, I think your favorite line is probably going to be my favorite too, but I'll go with number two, uh, which kind of fits. Um, where Frank says uh, um, that they're going to fight around the latrine, and BJ's like the latrine, and then Hawkeye's like figures. Body goes where the mind is. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. There's, I, the, the camp's pretty big. I don't think you need to fight near the <laughs> latrine, but okay, you know. All right. Uh, well, all right. Now I'm now I'm curious as to if if this my line is going to be yours. I purposely left it out of the of the description because I wanted to get to it here. It's where Klinger and Zale are in the tent with Hawkeye, and they are trading insults, and Klinger gets off a joke. That I is so classically one-liner. You got to, it almost feels like a Borscht Belt comedian wrote it for him, where he tells Zale, "If my dog had your face, I'd shave his butt and teach him to walk backwards." Which is just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, whoever wrote that, I hope that they were yeah. like, "I'm done for the day. I'm good. Yes. I'm gonna go home, fellas. <laughs> See you tomorrow." That's a great. I mean, just that's just such a, it's just that's like a Rodney Dangerfield kind of joke. It's a wonderfully <laughs> delivered by Jamie Farr. It's a terrific insult. Yeah, number one. Yes, that's what I had as well. That's what you had. Okay, there you <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah. yeah, it the mash. I mean, look, obviously, mash is so funny. It's one of the reasons I love it so much. But it didn't trade in jokes that felt to me that rat a tat tat kind of thing. You know what I mean? And so when it it almost feels like did they write that or was that part of the culture? You know, did that joke exist <laughs> in the cult? It feels like something street kids would have said to one another at some point. I'd shave his butt. And teach him to walk backwards. It's just like it's a that's a hell of a joke construction. So, um, but uh, but that's end run. A terrific yeah. show in the middle of the season. Again, as you said, Danny, it's not a laugh riot, but the uh, the a plot is is again terrific with terrific performances and the the you know the the silliness of the b plot works. It's nice that Klinger and Zale kind of get a lot to do. This is right. um, uh, Zelmo Zale won't have a whole lot of time left on the show. He's got a couple more seasons left, but he gets a Johnny Hamer gets a lot to do this one. I'm sure he was happy about that. So, well, uh, Danny, thank you so much for coming back to Mashcast and talk yes. about the show. Thank you. And um, let me do a little PSA since it's sort of a serious episode. I don't want to bring it on a down note, but I mean, I, I do want to mention to anyone who is listening or they know someone who might be having some problems that there's a uh, suicide prevention line out there. 
Um, you know, I would always recommend anyone to seek help uh, if they're having struggles in their life, you know, anything that's going on, you know. So I'll, I'll plug the number. It's 1-800-273-8255. You know, just pass it along. I mean, I don't want to bring the show on a down note, but, you know, it's a, sort of a serious episode. And I think it kind of fits with the theme. And I just wanted to pass that along. Absolutely. Thank you very much. That's terrific. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it deals glancingly with the idea of, of suicide because Billy doesn't really, I mean, he does talk about he wants out, but he never gets close. I mean, the show would actually talk about suicide right. in later episodes, some much more right. forcefully. Uh, but yes, absolutely. That's a, that's a great message to, to end it on. So thank you very much, Danny. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to feel like a jerk doing my plugs, but uh, <laughs> uh, you can find the show over on Twitter at Mash477Cast. You can find all the back episodes on our website, finewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show in any podcatcher of your choice. And if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And there you're going to lock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big salute to Danny Ulrich. Hey, look at that. <laughs> Nicholas Prom, Russell Burbage, Stan Peel, Britt Schramm, Mike Thomas, Michael Porter, Joe Perino, Billy Shulman, Dennis Bailey, Kara Kay, and Tim English. That's a long list. Thanks, everybody. I really appreciate the support. So uh, that's going to do it for now. Uh, we will see you later. But until then... That is all. I think I'm having an identity crisis. I know I'm Dr. Pierce, but I want to be God. If you ever get the job, don't forget your old friends.